Hey, it's so good to be with you. Um, you probably don't know this, but uh, Redeemer is a church that we have prayed for, I have prayed for, often. Uh, Greg and I have been part of something called Planters Collective, where once a month we just hang out together and, uh, and just update on what's been going on in our, in our various churches. And um, it has been a huge encouragement to us. Uh, to all of us who meet on, uh, on uh, that Thursday morning once a month to hear how God is blessing this church and growing this church here in Chalton. And uh, it's just exciting to actually be with you finally in person this morning because I've, I've been with you on Zoom before. I've done pre-recorded uh, things and it's just not quite as fun, is it? So uh, it's great to actually see you in 3D today. And um, I'm looking forward to being uh, in Isaiah 40 this morning with you as well. Uh, it, this is a a well-known passage for those of us who have uh, been part of church for any length of time. Um, uh, it has been a great encouragement to many of us, I'm sure. And I think it also continues to be a profoundly challenging yet helpful passage to us almost 3,000 years after it was written. So, but I want to, I want to start with a story today. Um, uh, I want to take us all back to a night, uh, roughly sometime in late 2017. Uh, um, my family, uh, we were living in Phoenix in Arizona. Um, I was working there uh, full-time as an assistant pastor in a very large, busy church. And I was also studying full-time uh, for my master's um, uh, in biblical and theological studies. In case you missed that, that is two full times, so that's, that's kind of hard to fit in. I also had uh, two kids at home under the age of three, and my nearest, uh, our nearest family member was five and a half thousand miles on the other side of the world, so we didn't really have much support in that time. I, and we loved our time in Phoenix. It was basically like a massive summer holiday for three years. It was just the best. Um, but it's fair to say that at that point in our lives, the word that probably defined us and divined our existence more than any other was tired. Now, given that I just shared that with, uh, with you, that I'm still tired. Maybe that just defines my existence generally. Uh, but the, I remember being exceptionally tired in that season of life, like kind of physically spent. And anyway, it was 2 a.m., and uh, our youngest, six months old, Owen, uh, was, for some reason, screaming. He, you know, he's just... He's just going for it. Not like that, but like blaring out. Um, and Hannah, my wife, was exhausted. She was still in bed. And I'm exhausted and I'm up with him. And I remember just not being able to settle him. Uh, and there was just a moment where deep down inside me, there was just this deep welling up of rage. I'm just going to be transparent and honest with you. Just real anger in that moment. And I silently because I didn't want to wake everyone else up, I suddenly just roared at God. I was so mad, and I said, why aren't you helping me? You can make him stop crying in a second. You created the universe. This is not hard for you. You know how tired we are. You know how exhausted my wife is. She needs to sleep. Why don't you care? Why don't you care? Now. I don't know many of you this morning, um, but I'm pretty confident that most, if not all of us, will, will know what that feeling is like, right? I'm sure at some point in each of our lives, we've arrived at the point 
where we are just absolutely, totally knackered, absolutely exhausted, where we've been worn down and worn down and it feels like nothing is going our way and nobody is there to help. It might be the relentless nature of your job or the daily grind of caring for your family or trying to deal with past hurts that you never seem to be able to put behind you. Perhaps it's the anxiety that money brings or dysfunction in your marriage or maybe feelings of inadequacy that surround and drive unhealthy behaviors. The cause is different for all of us. Often it's multifactorial, but the result is the same. We are exhausted. We are deeply, deeply weary and tired. We're at the end of our rope. And those of us who are Christians here this morning surely resonate with the sentiment voiced here in verse 27, where we read, My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. In other words, God either doesn't see what's happening here, or he doesn't care about what's happening here. He can't help, or he won't help. He's forgotten me or he's forsaken me. Either way, he's pretty useless to me right now. I need help, I need strength, and it is not forthcoming. That was me at two o'clock in the morning that particular night. And it was also the experience of the people who God is speaking to in these verses. Isaiah chapter 40 was primarily written not for the contemporaries of Isaiah in the 8th century BC, but for their descendants 200 years later, who had been carried off into exile by the Babylonian Empire. And they had lived for 70 years as slaves, working every day in a foreign land, bearing the shame of defeat, the trauma of siege and slaughter, the aching heartbreak of bereavement and loss, And the ignominy of seeing the temple of their God emptied and reduced to rubble. And understandably, they are physically and emotionally exhausted. That's the presenting issue that our text speaks to today. If you you look at me at the repetition in verse 28, faint and weary. Verse 29, faint, no might. Verse 30, faint, weary, exhausted. Verse 31, weary, faint, like... If there's that that much repetition in such a short space in the Bible, I think we just need to kind of prick up our ears and listen carefully. That's what God is speaking to today. That's the issue that God is talking to us about. And that was their lived experience. They've come to the end of themselves. They're not just tired. And we're all tired at the end of the day. But they are weary. Weariness is a tiredness that a good night's sleep doesn't resolve. You wake up and you're still tired. Some of us know what that's like, right? You're like that, that overworked iPhone battery that you know, gets to 100% and then as soon as you unplug it, it's at 15% straight away. These guys are on the verge of fainting, of falling. That is how tired they are. And the danger, I think, for all of us that we have to recognize this morning is that weariness clouds our judgment. Weariness clouds our judgment. It's kind of like when you decide 
at 10 p.m. at night to calmly raise the fact that one of you brought the wrong dishwasher tablets to Tesco's, and then two minutes later, you're saying, it's not about the tablets, Michael. It's about the fact that the Tesco-owned brand leaves streaks and my mother is coming over for dinner tomorrow. You know, that kind of thing goes on. I'm sure none of you can relate to that. But we all know that conversation probably doesn't develop that way if we talk about it in the morning, right? Weariness clouds our judgment. Our emotions, they become much bigger. We aren't able to accurately assess reality when we are exhausted. And if that is true for how we relate to one another, it's certainly true for how we relate to God. Weariness clouds our judgment. When we're going through the mill, when it's been one thing after another, and we're at our wit's end, we say with the people of Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Perhaps we don't vocalize it quite like that, as I did silently back in my condo uh, there in Phoenix. But it's there. It's in our hearts. It's in our heads. What we're saying is either God is unwilling or unable to help us. Perhaps some of us this morning doubt that he's real. I don't assume that any of you are Christians. I don't know any of you. And so for you, of course, God can't help. He, he's unable. He doesn't exist. Or maybe we might think that he's unable because he's far too busy with other people's problems to care. Or perhaps we might think, if we are believers this one, that he's just unwilling. He, he could do something, but for whatever reason, he just doesn't want to. Because deep down, there's, there's the question, is he kind? Is he good? Or maybe, do I deserve it? Maybe the misery that causes your weariness is fully deserved for you. And so obviously God isn't going to help you out. You don't, you don't deserve it. We need to be careful this morning and in times of particular weariness that we do not allow our weariness to cloud our judgment. Because actually the thing that prevents God from helping us is the belief that he is unable or unwilling to do so. That stops us from turning to him. That prevents us from looking to him for help. But what Isaiah 40 tells each of us this morning is that what we must do in those moments is remember and listen. I was actually going to say, shut up and listen, but I don't know you guys, so... uh, uh, I, I, I will say remember and listen this morning. We must remember and listen. Look with me. Uh, what does God say in verse 28 to an exhausted people who are doubting him? He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The great challenge for us when we are exhausted, is to allow ourselves to be shaped not by what we feel in the moment, but by, but by what God has already done for us and what, by what God has already spoken to us. Israel had to remember what they had previously known and they had to listen again to what they had previously heard. Now, let's be honest, that is not the way that most of us work, is it? More often than not, the way that we process and understand the world around us is on the basis of how each of us feel at any given moment. Truth, meaning, is subjective for each of us. And so we're told, 
especially if you listen to Oprah, speak your truth. Oh, that phrase kills me. Speak your truth. If you feel it, it's real, at least for you. And that is the opposite of what we are being told here. Don't speak your truth. Remember and listen. It doesn't mean that your experiences and your feelings aren't valid, but rather that you are probably not the best person to interpret them and to give them meaning, especially when you are shattered. We need to go outside ourselves to understand what is really real, to gain clarity on our lives and to find where true rest and relief lies. Because that is what's on offer here today. That is what is held out to the weary this morning, is true relief and rest. You see, we need to remember, first, who God is. Isaiah tells us four things today that I want us just to briefly touch upon. We could probably preach a sermon on each of them. I promise I'm going to try not to do that today. First, Isaiah tells us that God is unchanging. He is the everlasting God. So whilst your circumstances might have changed, he has not. In the day of victory and in the day of defeat, he remains the same. Which means that if there was a time when he saw you, if there was a time when he cared, then he still sees you. He still cares. He has not forgotten you. He has not turn, turned away. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember that Jesus Christ went to the cross for his people. In that moment, God could not care more about you. Before you were even born, the Son of God shed blood for you. And God is unchanging. He is everlasting. He has not forgotten those he bled for. He has not disregarded you. His love for you, his care for you, his compassion and his mercy are as rich and full today as they were when Jesus fell under blows for you. When Jesus was stripped and mocked for you. When he was nailed to wood and suffocated to death for you. Our God is unchanging. That's the first thing. And second, he is unlimited. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. There is no place, there is no space, no depth that we can uncover that his grace cannot reach and redeem. You see, Israel, the people of Israel, they're in Babylon. And they're wondering, can God see us here? Can he hear us? Can he find us? Can he help? Of course he can. We need to go again to remember and to listen. He is the one who made Babylon. It's not out of his reach. David says, Famously in Psalm 139, doesn't he? Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I, where shall I flee from your, your presence? We cannot outrun him. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. That is true. Our God is unchanging and he is unlimited. There is no bounds to where he can find you. And he is also, Isaiah tells us this morning, he is also unfailing. He does not faint or grow weary. I think one of the most encouraging things that we, we discover about our God in 
the words of this book is that he is not like us in many ways. He does not run out of energy. He does not need to take a nap. I mean, who here doesn't love a nap, right? I mean, half of us probably this afternoon, if we get the chance, you'll take the opportunity. (laughs) That was a telling look right there. (laughs) He does not get bored. He does not get fatigued. He does not get overwhelmed by circumstances. He is uniquely and eternally full, unlimited in his resources. The old hymn says, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And he doesn't end up going, oh, I'm running a bit low now. I better just stop for a little while. We cannot exhaust his patience or his grace or his kindness. There is never a day when God says, okay, this is too much. I need to take a break. We faint after one night of of broken sleep. But we worship a king who could not be held by the power of death and to whom belongs all dominion, power, and authority. That is who Jesus is. He is not like us. He is unchanging, unlimited, unfailing. And fourthly, he is also wise. His understanding, we read here, is unsearchable. In other words, God knows what is best. The question so often hangs over our exhaustion. Why? Why is he allowing this? Why is he not giving me what I so obviously need? Why is he not answering my prayers for my circumstances to change? Well, the scriptures tell us this morning that he has you exactly where you need to be in that moment. God works all things for the good of those who love him. All things, the highs, the lows, the victories and the defeats, all things for our good. His understanding is unsearchable. He knows what is best for us and he knows how best to achieve his purposes in our lives. That is hard for us to understand. But honestly, that truth that God is wise, it is a source of deep, solace and comfort for those of us who are suffering because it's not meaningless it's not beyond his control even in those moments where we feel lost and desperate the god who is all wise is working all things for our good that should give us profound comfort even when we don't understand why he is doing what he's doing When we are exhausted, we need to remember and listen again to who God is. He is unchanging, unlimited, unfailing, wise. And more than that, we also need to listen and remember to what God does. Not just who he is, but what God does. Hear good news this morning, Redeemer Church. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Now, at my church, I would say that deserves an amen. I don't know whether we do that here this morning, but amen. Thank you. Good, good. Everyone needs a little bit of Pentecostal in their church, right? <laughs> you know, I remember as a, as a kid going to, um, a, on a school trip to an, a recycling plant. And they showed us this machine that, um, that took old drinks cans and you, and you put it in, in, in the machine, and the pressure came, and then 
bang, just crushed them flat. And I think sometimes we feel like that, don't we? We feel like the empty drinks can in the recycling plant, the pressures of life pressing down upon us, and then in a moment's time, we're about to bang. Well, here's the thing. No matter who we are or where we come from or what we have or haven't done today, what God offers to each of us again this morning is the power to endure under pressure. Because there is no circumstance that the power of God is unable to overcome in your life. There is no sin that the grace of God is unwilling to overcome in your life. And when we look to the cross and the empty tomb, we see a king who beat death and a savior who took even the most heinous of our sins on himself and suffered for them in our place so that we can be free from their penalty. And Jesus did that, at least in part, so that exhausted, worn out, fainting people who have no power and no might left in them can now be filled with his unlimited strength. He takes us to the end of ourselves so that we learn to turn to him, to lean on him, to be revived and strengthened, to be kept and protected. You see, this is why it's so important not to let weariness cloud our judgment, but to remember to listen to good news. Because whilst our weariness might tell us that our God is unable or unwilling to help, the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ stands ready today, right now, in this moment, to empower us and strengthen us for whatever we need. Which is good news this morning. It gives me, this tired pastor from North Manchester, great encouragement today. But what does that actually look like then in the time we have remaining? How do we practically respond to this word today? What is God calling us to do in response to what he is telling us about himself here? Well, I think the answer that we're given today is that we need to learn to wait for Jesus. I thought you guys read the ESV, so I went for wait rather than hope this morning. You're, you're, you're NID people, so, so uh, it says in, the, in verse 31, those who hope in the Lord, in the NIV, it says in the ESV, those who wait in the Lord. You know, I think, I think most of us are just really bad at waiting. I know I am. I suck at waiting. I'm terrible. Um, we live in a culture where we want and expect instant gratification. And when we don't get it, we get irate or despondent very, very quickly. And then what we do is we often decide to take things into our own hands and sort it out ourselves, which is a very bad idea. Because what does God say? Even though he has created us with incredible capacity and ability, even the strongest amongst us will get worn down in the end. Verse 30 says, even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. <coughs> the point there is the most vigorous, the most active amongst us will eventually run out of energy, will eventually get to the point where they are shattered. But as we remember and listen to who God is and what God has done for us in and through the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, what we're called to do in response is to learn to wait on the Lord. You know, there's at least three kinds of waiting that I could think of. 
There's the kind of waiting that we do when we're on hold to the bank, okay? It's a kind of hopeless waiting, a despondent waiting, knowing that the waiting will never end. And even when it does end, you'll get someone who goes, oh, I don't know how to help you. Just go back on hold for a moment, please. And then it starts all over again. There's that kind of hopeless, despondent waiting, right? And then there's what I like to call angry man at the bus stop waiting, okay? Whenever we're waiting at at the bus stop, most normal people, probably like you and I, will sit down and wait. But there will always be someone who stands in the middle of the road for for no reason, craning to see round the corner, going, can you believe this? Can you believe how late this is? I often feel like saying, like, yeah, dude, when, when, when the bus driver turns up, let's jump him. Like, wh- why not? Like, <laughs> he deserves it, man. I mean, he's late. This sucks. Like, there's the kind of, re- you know, angry man at the bus stop waiting. I'm just angry about life. I'm frustrated. I just want it to happen now. Guess what? Neither of those kinds of waiting is what the Bible calls us to today. Because the third kind of waiting is the kid on Christmas Eve waiting. waiting. The kind of excitement at what is to come kind of waiting. It's the fan waiting for their team to walk out onto the pitch before the game begins. It's the lover waiting at the airport kind of waiting. There's an excitement, an expectation, a sense of anticipation of the good that is to come. You see, that is the waiting that we are being called to here as Jesus-loving, Bible-believing Christians. Because the picture that we have here of an end to weariness is not just about stopping being tired. It's about a release from slavery. You might not have picked that up, but Isaiah tells us that those who wait for the Lord will mount up on wings like eagles. I told you already, I was a pastor's kid. I grew up in fairly conservative churches. That, this is the kind of verse that gets written on, on rubbers. Like, I don't know why Christians feel the deal, the deal to do that. But you go to these kind of Christian bookshops and there's a rubber with that verse written on it. Fine, whatever. It's a, this is a verse, Isaiah 40, verse 31, that I think has given a huge amount of encouragement to Christians over the years. But it's more than just a metaphor of us kind of powerfully flying through the challenges of life like an eagle. Oh, I think it kind of is that. You see, what God is doing, this is a callback at this point in time. If you are an ancient Jew right now, you know what God is saying. And we often miss the reference. But God has used this image elsewhere in the scriptures. In the book of Exodus, chapter 19, verse 4, after he has freed the people of Israel from slavery, they come to Mount Sinai and God says to them, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see, God is echoing that language in Isaiah because here's the thing, slaves can't rest, can they? Slaves have to work. And it's what Israel is actually experiencing in Isaiah 40 in exile in Babylon. And it's what we all experience to some degree when we take on ourselves the burden to deliver our own rest, to be our own security, to source our own joy. What God is telling us here is that in Jesus, we find an end to that slavery. 
The slavery of working to provide for ourselves, to protect ourselves, to give ourselves our hope, our life, and our peace. That's why he came. To pay for our sins so that he might become the all-sufficient savior of the weary. And so we wait in those moments of exhaustion with eager anticipation to receive the outworking of the promise of the gospel in our lives. For we hear the words of Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we look to him in days of exhaustion and say, yes, Lord, we believe you. We come, we wait, we hope. Help us, strengthen us, restore and revive us once again. Brothers and sisters, the encouragement this morning is stop trying to deliver yourself. Stop trying to rescue yourself. Wait for Jesus with expectation and hope. And know two things as you, as you do that. First, your strength will be renewed as the Spirit of God revives and restores you. There is a strength that we know today in this life. But secondly, know that one day, what we now experience in part, that, that reviving, that energy of God, helping us to endure the pressures of life, what we experience in part, we will one day experience in full. There is a day coming when the tiredness and exhaustion of our lives will pass. It will be done. On that day, these bodies that fall, fall and fail, fail and falter, rather, will be gloriously transformed. We wait for Jesus to act today, and we also wait for Jesus to return. Because on that day, we shall mount up on wings like eagles. We shall run and not be weary. We shall walk and not grow faint. Brothers and sisters, let us this morning hear the word of the Lord and learn to wait for Jesus. Let me pray for us, and then we'll come to communion together. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. By it, we hear words of life. And we thank you this morning that you speak to us, a weary, fainting people, and point us to the hope and the life, the strength and the restoration that is found through the freedom of slavery that comes through Jesus Christ alone. Spirit of God, shine your light into our hearts and minds now, I pray. May we see more of Jesus this morning. And in our exhaustion, not doubt you, but wait in faith. Wait for you to rescue us, to revive us. And it's in hope this morning, Lord God that we pray these things. Amen. Well, we're going to come now to...